Not on. Is that what I heard? Am I on now? I'm on down here. There we go. Love the mics. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. While you turn there, just want to make sure a couple of items. Next Sunday, for all of those who are interested in being baptized, um, you've made a profession of faith in Christ, and or if you're already baptized and you want to become a member of Christ Community Church, we will have a class in the church offices that will begin at 9 a.m. Um, and so, just to fill you in a little bit, it is very informal. Most anyone that has ever joined our church has spent at least three months here. We actually encourage that. Uh, so you can get an idea of who we are. Um, we would certainly point you to our website because our website is very consistent uh, to what we believe and how we practice um, our faith. So please do that. On the 29th of this month, we'll then receive and covenant with the new members that God has um, led by His Spirit to, to join us. And so, even if you haven't signed that list, that list is not the Lamb's Book of Life. It's pretty close. Pretty close. No, just, just kidding. But obviously, we want anyone who walks through our doors to become a member, but most importantly, we don't try to guilt-motivate anybody. Uh, we want people here led by God who are in unity in heart and spirit and life with what we want to do as a church. One more announcement. That's a great announcement. This is a pretty good one, too. <laughs> um, Michael Marcy and Grace Ermiger is now engaged. Yeah. And their wedding will take place in the fall, so we're Certainly happy for them as they move forward to become one flesh. Our text this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 23 and 24. And as a theme for the morning, uh, the name of this message is Our Commitment. You witnessed... Um, what really is very significant and very important for us as elders. And we're going to do this annually. We're going to do this annually because we should be on public display to commit to our congregation to be faithful to God, His gospel, and the things pertaining in the scriptures. And I trust and I do believe that it probably really encouraged you. I know the first time I experienced that as um, a 28-year-old man, we left that day, Val and I did, and I told her we're joining there. Because that group had a bunch of abled men that um, 
made a huge impact on my life. And in the time we spent there for the 10 years, they made a huge impact uh, on my life. And I'm so thankful for them and that congregation, um, Woodhaven Bible Church. Um, let's read the text, though, so you can obviously, knowing all of our liturgy every week, works in concert with what we're attempting to proclaim. The words found in verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we have uh, sang the Holy Trinity's name, as we have prayed the Holy Trinity's name, as we have um, gave our offerings, Lord, and thank you for those that contribute faithfully to this ministry and and certainly even this Christmas offering that we're about to share, Lord Jesus. We, we want to give you thanks with hearts that are really rejoicing, um, hard to contain. Um, you, are, uh, you do things in inexpressible ways. Um, you don't show up, you're always there. So help your church, help your people uh, to wake up and to recognize that. We're not begging you to come, you're here. What we're begging for is for us to fall under your authority and your word. And you're so good, Jesus. Your name is, it's certainly wonderful, very difficult to give you the type of homage and worship that you deserve. I'm thankful for Christ Community Church, and I know that's how, Lord, I know that's the heartbeat of our, of our congregation and we do look forward to 23. And we give you thanks for everything that is, you've done. And, and we want to acknowledge some of those things, Lord. But we never want to live in the past. Doesn't matter our age. We don't want to look for the old glory days. We want to press forward. Because every day draws us closer to the day. And on the day when you raise the dead and, trust and judge every human being that ever lived and you condemn to judgment those who have rejected your son Jesus, Jesus, we give you thanks that you have saved us. And that's why we come here. That's why we meet on the Lord's day and you will, in the finality of the judgment, create a new heaven and a new earth. And you will make us new. And in that body, we will never sin again. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for that. 
And we pray in Your kingly name. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Pastor Alex mentioned that our church has over an 80-year history. It was actually established in 1942 down behind the Fitzgerald School District. It was actually known as Orion Road Business District. But I want you to think about this because it's, it is pretty you know, surreal of sorts. World War II went on from 1939 to 1945. This church was founded um, right in the middle of that World War II. And uh, the closest individual of that era, Fred Hartsville, and he told me he wasn't a founding member. <laughs> he came two weeks later. <laughs> but there was, a, there was a men's Bible study that gathered. And they began to get burdened um, that a church needed to be planted in that area. And so it took place. Um, that church was called Ryan, Ryan Road Missionary Baptist Church. And some of you may be familiar with Missionary Baptist doctrine. Um, I was raised in a Missionary Baptist church. My dad was a lifelong ordained deacon of the Missionary Baptist church. The flagship school is in Arkansas. Give it up for Arkansas, Terry. <laughs> it changed its name from Ryan Road Missionary Baptist Church to Ryan Road Baptist Church, thus transitioning uh, its connections with the Baptist Bible Fellowship, the flagship school, um, which I attended actually, in the uh, early 80s. Uh, that school is in Springfield, Missouri. Upon coming out to this location, um, we changed our name in 1998 to Heritage Baptist Church because it's pretty weird to be Ryan Road Baptist Church at 14 and Van Dyke. That would have caused a lot of undue hassle. It was seven years ago that we changed our name to Christ Community Church. The the elders met collectively for a number of reasons and felt that this best expressed exactly identified with who we are. And we wanted to reflect that. And on that Sunday, for those of you that can remember, I preached a two-hour message on Sunday morning. I'm not going to do that again. I promise. Wouldn't be prudent. But we, we did change our name to Christ Community Church, I love that name. I love it because I do think it expresses exactly who we are and, and who we want to be. We have one lifelonger member here of sorts. Tim Smith was born in 1960, and he has only lived his life out at Christ Community Church. It's pretty cool. Love that. That was the year that I was born as well. Um, and, I, you know, Tim and I go way back, worked together for a steel company. Got a lot of appreciation for Tim and his continued, uh, you know, to be a part of our congregation and their wonderful family. Um, appreciate them. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to give you an idea for those of you who haven't been here as long or even by age, obviously, obviously. 
don't go back to 1942. Um, because we want to express as elders, and this sermon uh, probably is really more like, uh, I mean, I hate this word talk. You know, pastors don't talk, they preach. That's what they're supposed to do. But there is a sort of, of talking about this today because, uh, you know, there's things that we want to identify to help all of us who are members here. And the summation of that Christmas offering and our transitioning out here that I shared at the beginning of November, um, Pastor Alex and I, uh, you know, obviously are tied to the hip and talk daily and spend a lot of time together. Uh, praying, thinking about, discussing about the ministry, we had hoped for a, a, a $10,000 Christmas offering. Well, it's $22,000. $22, yeah, yeah. Hoot, hoot. That's all right, yeah. Move it up. <laughs> um, so that coupled with the $50,000 that we set aside on Tuesday of this week were... Pastor Alex and I are going to go to make a wired transition to pay down the loan. And it's going to make a significant dent. Bigger dent than I thought it was going to make. And we'll look at the books over the next couple of days to pop, possibly pay down maybe some more. We'll see how all that works out. But man, that is on... I don't want to say it's unreal. It's just another thing where... Um, Yes, he is. He is good. He's good, and I'm a, I'm a sloppy sap. <laughs> so, so anyways, this, this is really, really important. It's significant. It's huge. And we're on our way. And um, that note comes due in, in uh, December, of, um, December of 29, which will get a reamortization done on Tuesday when we pay down the loan, we're, we're making great strides. Honestly, I'm, I'm not lying to you. It leaves me speechless. Um, that's always been a goal. You know, when that aspect of the ministry was put in my charge to kind of oversee and work with the pastors around me, and, uh, you know, by God's grace, we'll see it paid off. We moved to Elder Rule some 20 years ago. Uh, we are an Elder Rule congregation, which means um, that God gives the oversight to elders, that is, godly men, to, to serve and to direct the congregation. You see all of those elders virtually every week as a part of our liturgy, which I love that that's, that speaks to because there's a great deal of accountability. And our accountability isn't just to each other. It is to this church. And so while we did this as a display, we also recognize there's an accountability. There's a greater charge that's given to us as elders. And I, you know, my... Thankfully, grew up in a Christian home. I personally, over my lifetime, have had 17 pastors, um, which included, so in the congregation that I was in, 
say, this, say there was a, a main thrust in the pulpit by an individual, there could be a Bible class that that pastor was over me and they were both of them. And I can honestly tell you this, that Alex is the best pastor I've ever had. He is. Gifted of God. Um, so thankful that God brought him back our way. Um, and it was, it was his design. Um, he grew up here and uh, terrorized the hallways. And I remember him. But in, in all serious, and this, this, this is something that should be said, um, he should, in his... Uh, beautiful wife, Bethany, and their wonderful village of six children um, are a tremendous blessing to Christ Community Church. And, and, and they will be, because he's a young man, all things being equal, for a long, long time. And, uh, I mean, he knows the sentiment of how I feel about him. Um, and, and while we don't always do these kinds of things on this given Sunday, I think it's appropriate um, because he is cherished. I, you know, sometimes he thinks of me as his dad. It's, we have this relationship of obviously co-pastor. And so, honestly, we both carry on uh, many hats. I think there's a, a very healthy thing. Uh, that has transpired out of God's design, and even in terms of our generational difference. And uh, because uh, at 60, he helps me to stay crispy. That's Alex. But Alex has been here 10 years now, and so there's things even the younger people are doing he, he ain't caught up with, so he's not so hip either. You, you folks know this. We, we don't think of ourselves in any of that weird... Uh, common day vernacular. We don't think we're hip at all. I got two broken hips. <laughs> uh, I certainly don't think I'm hip. But as, as elder rules, particularly for the last five years, we have focused with great care um, as Pastor Alex and I um, being under elder rule to, to cultivate and nurture away and continue to work on. This is not something where you get and you're settled to nurture the men that God has given us. And I, I love all the elders. Um, the closest one to me in age, I count like a little brother, Pastor Bobby, and all the rest of them, seriously, are, they're, they're, they're ways they're like sons to me. Um... And, 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 you know, my sons know who I am, right? So they've heard McGuire men conversations. Uh, Alex certainly now at this point at 10, at 10 years knows who I am. But um, I think a, a few of them, honestly, are still trying to figure me out a little bit. But I, I dearly love them and I count them uh, and cherish what they bring to us as a church family. Our next, in this year, we are focusing now on the role of deacon for both men and women to uh, create a model that will emulate what we're doing with the elder board. Um, it doesn't have a start and end time because it's life spent together. 
but it's important, it's an essential if we want to continue to mature and through that maturity um, lead those whom God gives us. It was in that first year that Pastor Alex and I, um, I remember the very first Monday we came in here and we sat down on that stage and we prayed and we began to discuss what really was, what, what our heartbeat was and his heartbeat was. And we had already had some of these conversations, but now we were, we were shoulder to shoulder and we could begin to dive into this. And that central theme is found in verse 23, we preach Christ. Past Christ, we don't have anything to offer. So this morning isn't any type of vision casting. It, it isn't any type of, you know, again, the weird language that has morphed it way, its way into Christianity. We are genuinely trying to identify Jesus who is the head of the church, the Savior of the body, to recognize what He is doing. And then to so make changes appropriately. We are tied to nothing ministry-wise other than this Sunday morning gathering. And we'll make changes appropriately as we feel that God has burdened us to lead. Shortly in that first year, a woman came to Pastor Alex and I. And so, so this was our commitment and, and, and this has been going on for 10 years, right? The thrust of the pulpit ministry to which we changed is we shifted the Bible classes and made them electives that, that if somebody would give themselves to those Bible classes over four years, they could have equivalent to basically a seminary education outside of the languages. Parents, let me just encourage you, don't be afraid to go deep with your children. Such a lie that children can't handle stuff. Um, anyways, this, this woman came to counsel us. She was troubled. It was obvious when she came to us um, to, to talk with us. And uh, she told us she was leaving the church. And she had been here for quite some time. I don't, I don't recollect how long. But uh, obviously, she, at, least she, at least she had the spiritual gumption to come. A lot of people just... Honestly, there's a lot of spineless men. <laughs> I hate to say it that way, but they are. They don't quit themselves like men. They don't act like men. They whine and complain about every avenue of their life, and that you know they just slither away. Um, she said, I, "I'm leaving because you guys preach Christ too much." <laughs> so, so we, 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 we pleaded with her and tried to get her to stay and, you know, in a limited way. And when she left, I'm not lying to you, we high-fived. Like, wow, we set a goal and at least, at, least, at least some people are hearing it. That's exactly what took place. Our commitment, the reason why we preach Christ is that we believe that the Scripture reveals one redemptive story. The father choosing a bride for his son, the son heroically going to redeem his bride and will come be, one day come back 
in consummation for her, and the Spirit currently is collecting and applying and adding to that body around the globe. People are coming to faith, as many of you, some of you guys and, and, and gals even in this, in this room right now are wrestling with Jesus. We trust you'll receive Him by faith. That culmination of this age ends uh, kind of like with a new beginning of the marriage supper, wedding of the Lamb when Jesus returns. And let me just say this, if you see Scripture as anything else but that at the central focus, you're missing the point of the Bible. So I coached high school basketball for five years, and it would be just like this. I'm a basketball coach, I get my high school team at the beginning of the year, and I read them about baseball. Nothing wrong with baseball. I love baseball. There's a lot of things that the Bible will speak to, but if at the central message of every message isn't Christ, then we're messing up. We take that very seriously. As we picture what we've built the ministry on, there are really four points of emphasis that I'm going to give you. The four points of emphasis are gospel-centered, grace-centered, Christ-centered, and covenant-centered. And I really think, as we move through to these, they're, they're a tapestry that's found in the Scriptures that are intertwined, and they're woven together, and they always lead us to Jesus. And that's really a beautiful thing. It's a thing we convictionally believe because Jesus is the only one that can change your life. Not your mom, not your dad. They can point you to Jesus. And I trust by, by God's grace they're doing that. But if you really want compelling, deep-rooted, lifelong change, that only comes with Jesus. That's why some of, these, some of these new folks that have joined with us, there was like an instantaneous connection. Because as we heard their stories, and, and we begin to share some of our stories, and what we begin to express is, wow, these, these dudes love Jesus. <laughs> They're pretty cool because we love Jesus too. It's really not more complicated than that. When we talk about being gospel-centered, please hear this now. Salvation is the most important thing in your life. Your eternal state rests on it, what you do with Christ. Amen. It is. And for me, that happened, 12, 13, whatever it is, where God invaded a room by the Spirit and He arrested my cold, callous, prideful heart when I knew I was convicted. I didn't want to do anything about it because I was C.H.'s son, who was the head of the deacon board. And there were many times that 
you know, my dad and Lowell Griffith were the, were the preachers because we didn't have a pastor. We were, we were small. But salvation wasn't of my own doing. It was a gift that came to me. And as God arrested my heart and worked repentance and belief, I mean, I just came to know that I was justified by faith alone. And, and as, if we could just pause in this part of it, for those of you, and I trust all of us are wrestling with Christ, because don't think you've arrived. I, I certainly don't think of my life that way. Um, I can't help but think about Jesus every day. And it's not like I'm smart. He lives within me. He's alive, and He, he beckons me. And I know you can identify with that if you're a Christian. Faith, as you've heard from this pulpit many times and through our classrooms, we believe that faith is taught from the Scriptures that the Reformed tradition holds in knowledge, assent, and trust. And real quickly, that knowledge is that God is holy, that you are sinful, and that Jesus is the only way. That's why we preach Christ. Christ's life death and resurrection. And yes, his life was important because if Jesus didn't totally fulfill the law, he would not have been a sacrifice that the Father would have accepted on the cross. It is his life, death, and resurrection. So when we see that we preach Christ crucified, that is inclusive to that, to which he says to the Jews, that's a stumbling block. Why? Because, because the apostles were taking the Old Testament and they were pointing the Old Testament covenants that Jesus was the fulfillment, and unbelieving Jews, they stumbled over that. And for those who, who heard that blood sacrifice were sin, were outside of the, the ethnicity of, of Jewry, they were Gentiles, they were like, yeah, right. Somebody's got to die for me to live forever. I'm about to get that regular mic. <laughs> Look at verse 24. But to those who are called. The called is the gospel outward call that manifests itself in an internal wake up. Wow, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. He's the only way. I repent and I receive Jesus. So we preach Christ. We preach His life, His death, His resurrection. And really, at its simplest root, we want everybody to know Jesus. That's the most important thing that we're doing. We want you to know Jesus. If you begin to wrestle with the Bible, anything past that, and you should if you're a Christian, you begin to see that grace is a central part of Scripture. We're grace-centered. All of God's people and His family have been saved by grace through faith. Both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Now, you say grace in the Christian community, it can mean one thing. Let me try to explain myself how we believe the Scripture teaches grace. Grace is certainly an undeserved benefit. 
It is an unmerited favor. I do not deserve heaven. I know that. Even now, I do not deserve God's unmerited favor. What I deserve, honest to goodness, is hell. And really, I'm reminded of that daily. And it's honestly a a beautiful thing. I'm glad God does remind me of it. I have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and that goes back to the very first person that died who was able, who believed the gospel imprint of his mom and dad who had failed God. Bobby read from it the promise that was given. Abel believed in the promise that God was going to send a Messiah, a Christ, someone who would come and and would crush what Satan had destroyed. He would would win the war. Grace centers on God and that God is sovereign. To some, when they hear that God is sovereign, they simply mean He's in control. And really, if you analyze it, He's really not really in control. God God is made like a poor, pathetic old man figure on a throne as if He's women and crying over the affairs of men because nobody loves Him. God alone is sovereign. God is other. It means He's outside of creation. He's outside of who we are. Both Father, Son, and Spirit. And that Trinity sovereignly saves His people. He saved you that way. He saved me that way. He saved every person in the Old Testament that come to know and believe the promise. So words for us around here like uh, choosing, election, predestination, foreordained, foreknowledge are never explained away. They are embraced Because these are the words of God. And my life is to fall under the authority of who God is. It's true for all of humanity. And I will submit this to you because this tapestry that we're trying to put together for you in terms of how we view the Bible, until your mind, even as a Christian, settles on the fact of the doctrine of grace, that God is in fact sovereign, you will never understand the Bible. You'll get parts of it. I've seen many, many men who didn't embrace that doctrine that lived whiny, complainy experiences. Men who desired to be in the pastorate. I would never go to a church that didn't believe it. Too much confusion. Once that truth settles in you that God has sovereignly saves, and you embrace that with a deep belief that God is sovereign in everything in my life, nothing, that guards my heart now. 
There is no accidents. There is no happenstance. There is no Johnny-come-lately. There's God's providence. And it's divine. Whether good or bad. Look at the story of Job. What did Job do? Man, I know my Redeemer lives. And I will see Him on the day, the day of consummation, in a resurrected body. Thank you, Job. Thirdly, we look at the Scriptures as being Christ-centered. All of the Scripture is about Jesus. Jesus would tell His disciples that in Luke chapter 24. Jesus said so. Jesus said, hey guys, look, it's not just Micah 5.2, it's not just Psalm 90, it's not just Psalm 2, it's not just Genesis 3.15, the whole sacrificial system, everything that, that, that I have given to my people, it's all about me. That's what Jesus said. Wow. People say they'd like to be at different events in their minds. Uh, and I get that. You know I get that, that whole like daydreaming about that. If I could be an event, one event, one event, it'd be at Luke 24. Because I believe that's what God taught the disciples. And you know I believe it? Because it's manifested in Acts. That's exactly how they preach the gospel. All Scripture is Christian Scripture. The Old Testament isn't written to the Jews and the New Testament to the church. That's a lie. All Scripture is Christian Scripture. The books themselves were written with a purpose so that the readers would understand what was being written to them. And we do go through an important process for that. It's called the historical, grammatical, and cultural interpretation. We attempt to be faithful to that as best we can every week. In a more simpler way, we're looking for the who, when, what, where, why, and how to the specific text when it was written for that group of people. We want to know what the writer was himself was trying to communicate to the reader. But Jesus told us that's not enough now. That's not enough. It doesn't stop there. And if it stops there, then what we do out of the pulpit is we take back what God uses to bring you joy. And me joy. And, and that is it leads us to Jesus. We trail our way through to lead us to Jesus. Should have thought of that a while ago. The text will lead you to Jesus. That's why the book of Ruth was written 3,000 years ago. told us about Jesus. We spent five weeks, whatever it was, that we did it. That was, that was awesome. Listen, I had people in my life that listen, who aren't in this state, that called me and told me, wow, never heard of Ruth like that. Man, that does a heart good. It's true. 
It's good because it's true. Scripture is Gospel-centered. Scripture is grace-centered. Scripture is Christ-centered. Scripture is covenant-centered. Let me just make a few notes with you as we transition this to the end. What a covenant is, is a divine promise in simplicity. Each covenant that unfolds in the Scripture is given by a divine covenant of God to His people. So you're not watching the afternoon news and whatever and picking out some weird phrase in Daniel chapter 2, verse 42 and 43 and try to equate it to whatever problems the world is, is, is under. That is foolishness. Scripture is covenant-centered. God has given a promise to His people. And in those covenants, Jesus becomes the fulfillment of all of it. Of every covenant. He is promised in the Old Testament. He is fulfilled in the New Testament. And we live where the, the covenants have been fulfilled. And that's why we are in the New Covenant. We're in the final covenant. We're in the eternal covenant because it's going to last forever. We have been brought in to the eternal covenant with God and we'll live with Him forever. So when you think of covenant, think of it this way. Of God's promise given to a person so that that person would give it to the people. And there are six of them. It begins, and there's various names but I kind of wanted to keep this as a theme. It was given to an individual. There's a covenant made with Adam. There's a covenant made with Noah. There's a covenant made with Abraham. There's a covenant made with Moses. There's a covenant made with David. That's where we ended Ruth. And there is the covenant that is fulfilled in Jesus. So, you and I are living in an already not yet existence. It's fulfilled. Your salvation is secure. And it was secured in the foundation of the world. That's what the Scripture says. And yet it's not happened yet. Right? We look around us and man, things suck. Donna's dying. Got a, several others that are dealing with some very life-threatening circumstances. But one day, death will be no more. It's going to be past. Now, how, do we, how are we to understand these things? Well, each covenant gives us more of the redemptive story. So Abel did not understand Jesus like you and I because it was not yet written. The inspired Word of God, our only authority for the faith that we hold to and its practice. But the finality, how God would save, is fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This this beautiful, wonderful 
Savior who died. One more thing we want to mention about the covenants before we transition to help us understand. The, the covenants through those individuals, what they do is we, we want to embrace the benefits that God gives His people. And along with that, there are duties that God gives His people. The benefits and the duties. And so it goes like this in a simpler way. Jesus loves me. Jesus saves me. Jesus keeps me. I owe Him everything. Everything. I understood that as a teenager. But being theologically and doctrinally sound is only as good as, as it leads us to love each other. Because of all of our differences, God has called us as a church family to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace with brothers and sisters who may not think like you. And when we don't love like God calls us to love, you can bet you will give an account on the day of judgment for it. It is God's expectation. Covenant calls us to love each other. Covenant calls that, that my life's not my own. My marriage is not my own. My sons are not my own. They're God's. And the moment you embrace anything less than that, you're going to screw your life up. I know some of you may think, man, that's weighty. That's a little bit over the top. No, it's not. So these truths of, of gospel-centered, of grace-centered, of Christ-centered, of how God deals with His people in a, in a covenant-centered way. This is, this is His interaction with me. And I don't deserve what He's given me, but that big, powerful strong right arm swoops under me and lets me know I belong to Him. And that nothing will come past my way outside of His good hand. His good hand. Thank you, Jesus. That truth should burn in your soul and your mind to look at your church community member and say, man, I love him. I love her. And I love them fiercely. And I love them passionately. Because the kingdom of Christ as its central theme is love. And then it filters itself in one another concepts. Now we experienced... Last Sunday, church discipline. 
Church discipline is love. God is love, 1 John. God says He loves His children, Hebrews 12, and because He loves them, He disciplines them. If you do not feel Christ's disciplining hand on your heart and mind, you do not belong to Him. The King James calls it your bastard sons. It means you're illegitimate. You don't belong to Jesus. You know a thing about Jesus. You may feel erotic about Jesus or, or have some sort of weird concept of Jesus, but Jesus is defined that way in Scripture. And man, does He love. Jesus looked in the face of hate. Judas's last picture of Jesus was Jesus giving him bread at the table. Pure love, pure hate. Wow. God calls me to love like Jesus. Many stories could be told to that. But you never arrive at it, right? Because the bottom line is we mess up with each other. Church is messy. Because it's a, it's a, it's a body full of sinners. We've got to defer to one another. We have to forgive one another. We have to confess our faults to one another. There are just, there's probably 30 plus New Testament terms. But understand this, please. A church that does not discipline does not love. They don't love. They hate. That's why for those that have recently been disciplined here, we reached out to, even currently. I leave them in my phone. I leave a connection of Anywhere I can have. I don't know when God's going to work repentance. We want to grow as people. You got to get to a spot where you embrace great peace, have those which love, love God's law. Nothing offends them. That'll free you to pursue. Fiercely and passionately. Not some faulty, mamby-pamby, emotional love. Genuine love. For you parents, just a word of encouragement. Tell your children you love them, man. Especially you dads. If you have struggled doing that, man, ask God to forgive you of your wicked heart and tell your children you love them. Tell your children you love them. Pursue them with great passion. Don't use the excuse even when they're grown. Yeah, but. Yeah, but what? 
People are so soft, they fear rejection. Who cares if you get rejected? Man, that's Christianity. Jesus was a man of sorrows. You're going to get rejected more than you get accepted. It's just, it's what it is. And don't take it personal, pursue them. I tell you that because there's always difficulty. There's always hardened, unrepentant hearts. God puts under the care so that in that pursuit, the Gospel might awaken their hearts again. It's not just a thing where you leave it aside and that's for somebody else to do. If you care about people who you know are living in unrighteous, filthy, wicked sin, who have claimed Jesus and you do nothing, you are an accomplice. As we close, understand this. Church, everything matters. Or nothing matters. May God bless Christ Community Church. May God bless your families to the glory alone of Jesus' name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, now, as we move to this setting of dining at your holy meal that you call the Eucharist. The Eucharist in the Greek simply means to say thank you. And and your people, your family, we want to collectively say thank you. To thank you for your abundant grace which has saved us. And in so saving us, and so blessing our lives and sustaining us in the life that we have currently now, we want to give you thanks and we want to live out lives of gratitude. Lord Jesus, you are the head of the church, the Savior of the body for those in our congregation that have been wrestling with you. They know deep down in their hearts they are not Christians, and yet they know they're sinners. I pray that your Spirit would break their hearts, acknowledge their sin, humbly receive Jesus by faith through a knowledge, assent, and full trust alone. For those who perhaps are sitting here now that do know you, and Lord, you, you know, we don't know everything, but they're living in sin, they do claim Christ, and they're living in a consistent, persistent, hardened, rebellious way towards you, convict them. May they be caught in the error of their way, proving the legitimacy of their faith. Unite us together, Lord, in these truths that we believe, but they'll really be seen when we love each other genuinely. And that we strive in that genuine love to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And in those disciples, Jesus said, all men in the world would know you follow me because you love each other. Convince and convict even Christians now 
we pray. In the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.